Hello and welcome to the How Many Geese Christmas special. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously, then we are the natural selection. On today's show. Uh, if only the Titanic had been laden with reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> Can we change the size of it? I don't think so. No tiny Christmas rhinos. No. <laughs> I mean, no wonder Rudolph got bullied. Like, <laughs> no wonder they would, wouldn't let him play in any of the reindeer games. Like, <laughs> he, he was infested. <laughs> so, I put a call out to people asking for Christmassy animals. I just said, name me some Christmassy animals. The animal that I'm sure you can imagine was one of the most, if not the most suggested, was the reindeer. Of course. The reindeer. Now, one of the messages that I did get was quite good, and it was from someone whose Instagram handle is Travels With My Phone. They wrote to me and said, Irrelevant, but I used to work with a girl who didn't believe in reindeer. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this isn't the first time that I've heard this, because I actually... um, know someone who used to do those things you know those santa things where they used to stand in um you know car parks with sad reindeer um and people would come up and be like oh the reindeer but they said one of the most common things that they heard was when they would say you know parents would come with their children and they'd be like oh what are these and they'd be like they're reindeer and the parents would be like come off it like that's not like they're not real and they think they think you'd taken some sort of animal and you know dressed it up you know like you put a horn on a horse and call it a unicorn um, and lots of people apparently don't don't know that reindeer are actual animals uh, okay i mean uh, how <laughs> look, 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 i mean you know talk about people getting more disconnected with nature as time goes on but i probably can't find a better yeah but example. i mean I, 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 yeah but okay but at no point in my life have i lived amongst the reindeer <laughs> <laughs> like, fair enough you know i'm pretty sure i could find easily a hundred people in five minutes in london yeah who understand reindeers are real <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not sort of like we're making our way to the tube amongst herds of reindeer <laughs> but yeah so anyway uh, a lot of people did suggest reindeer so i thought i'd read in them to a little bit and like my god okay so they may not be some like fantasy animal but i knew a bit about reindeer and i knew that they were pretty hardcore and they'd got some cool adaptations but i didn't mm-hmm. i don't think i really i quite appreciated just how how cool they were yep so just top line reindeer are in fact real and um they're, they're <laughs> end of episode thank you for listening <laughs> the christmas special is complete <laughs> they're spread all across the cold regions of the northern hemisphere so you know the tundra subarctic and boreal forest habitats uh, in the north um, and until recently there used to just be one species of reindeer Uh, with 10 subspecies but as of 2022 five of these subspecies became full species and i'm just going to be talking about reindeer generally but there's all sorts of you know they've got like the svalbard reindeer which is absolutely tiny it's like you know barely a meter off the ground it's really really like they're really small Uh, they've got tiny little legs and then you've got bigger ones that live in different habitats but we're just going to be talking about reindeer in general so i'm not constantly quoting subspecies names and all this sort of stuff um yeah so they live up where it's cold, so they got to keep warm, 
Again, episode finished. Thanks for, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning in on these hot reindeer facts. <laughs> so the first thing, the first little bullet point is going to be the fur of a reindeer. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the reindeer, it's got a coat that's got two layers of fur. It's got thick layer close to its body that's really dense and woolly and then the longer haired overcoat consisting of really hollow air filled hairs which you know trap the air keep it warm etc etc apparently in 1913 it was noted that the woodland caribou and i should say that caribou and reindeer are the same thing um, some people, hmm. that's another misconception. Some people, you know, think that they may be referring to different species or species, but it's just in North America, they generally call them caribou. Over in Europe, we call them reindeer. Um, but in 1913, it was noted that the woodland caribou, when they get in the water to swim, they swim so high out of the water, unlike any other swimming mammal, because their hollow air-filled quills basically act as a life jacket. So they're trapping so much air in their coat that when they swim, their bodies look much higher out of the water than if you'd got, you know, a red deer or something swimming across the water. Because they've got this, they've trapped so much air that they've got this life jacket. Oh, if only the Titanic had been laden with reindeer. (laughs) It would have kept you warm and afloat. Yeah, Jack and Rose could have both just been on a reindeer finished the trip to New York. It wouldn't have needed space on the the bit of wood. Oh, James Cameron missed a trick there when he was... <laughs> so that's really nice. Uh, and the fur, obviously, is is built for keeping them warm. But it's also surprisingly effective at, at keeping them cool as well. And apparently it's so effective in letting them regulate their core body temperature. Even if the temperature rises up to 38 degrees Celsius, so hot, their pelt still allows them to regulate their temperature to like a livable level. In Svalbard? Well, no, it's... but like that's that's... <laughs> I imagine that's probably when, you know, when they've probably taken them to some, when they've stood in car right, parks okay. in uh, Dubai or somewhere like that. <laughs> Everything I thought I knew about the, the tundra. The vast deserts of Svalbard. <laughs> the beating sands of Nunavut, northern Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so basically to say that the the reindeer's coat is is just really supremely evolved for keeping them warm, uh, but also can can really help you know because in the summers it can get quite it can get quite hot. I mean, not quite thirty eight degrees, but it can get pretty hot, and also nice. helps to keep them afloat. Um, so that's one little adaptation that they've got, and then I want to move on to the hooves mm-hmm. of reindeer. Mm-hmm. So this is really cool, I thought, because. Depending on what season it is, they've got different landscapes that they have to deal with. So in the summer, if they're on the tundra, it becomes quite soft and wet, the tundra Mm -hmm. landscape. Um, So then the foot pads become almost quite soft and sponge-like, which provides them extra traction and extra uh, surface area spread. Uh, so that they can walk through this, you know, potentially wet, boggy, sphagnum mossy covered um, habitat. But then in the winter, the pads shrink and tighten and exposes the, the the outer rim of the hoof, which then allows it to cut into the ice and the crusted snow and basically acts almost like a little bit of an ice pick. So the hoof shrinks, exposes that edge, and then they can use it as a, an ice pick to hack their way through the snow and also to um clear it to get to their favorite food which is this reindeer lichen which sits 
you know, below the level of the snow. So they dig through that to get to their food. So as well as lichens, they will also eat bone and antler. So they're osteophagus uh, and will gnaw and partly consume, particularly shed antlers as a supplement to their diet because they're living in a place where they're not getting a particularly rich diet. And they'll supplement their diet by eating um, bits of antler and things like that. And in some extreme cases... They will eat the antlers off of other reindeer's heads while they're still alive. That is hardcore. So this led me to a case in of a reindeer herd in Norway in 1984. Um, and surveys suggested that in 1984, that 8% of the reindeer in this herd were showing signs that they'd had their antlers gnawed whilst they were still on their head. In 2009, the rate had climbed to 72%. And then to 92% of all reindeer in this herd having evidence of their antlers being gnawed by other reindeer. And when I Googled it, I just found pictures of just like the reindeer just sat down in their herds, just, you know, chilling out on the snow. And then other reindeer just full on just eating their antlers, just like chewing on their antlers while the other reindeers just sat there trying to just get on with its life. And it's got this other reindeer just eating its antler. I didn't realise that we should fear reindeer quite so much. (laughs) Well, these ones, I mean, maybe we shouldn't fear these ones because this was a pretty extreme case. And actually, pretty much all that herd now are dead because what they think is that they were actually in pretty poor health and that this antler eating was like a last resort and then they all got chronic wasting disease and died. Jesus Christ. But it is something that they do. Um, It's something that I think uh, quite a few species of deer do as well or will eat um shed antler and things like that to recoup some of the minerals and things that they lost in growing them yeah but there's something about eating bone off your mate's <laughs> head so back to those antlers because they're the only deer species where the female will, will routinely grow her own set of antlers too so the males will grow them for the root uh, they'll root they'll compete They'll mate with all the females, and then the males' antlers will drop off. The females will keep theirs, and once they've kept them, they then gain superiority over the males, and then they get the spots for the best feeding. Uh, And those with antlers are significantly healthier than those without antlers, and you do sometimes get females that don't have antlers as well, and the females that have antlers um, are much healthier than the females that don't have antlers and will give birth to healthier calves, that have a much better chance at surviving. But it's interesting that when the males have got their antlers and the females have got their antlers, the males are doing all the fighting. You know, they're, they're, they're the superior uh, individuals. But then as soon as those antlers drop off, it switches. The female becomes the mm. superior one and then she gets better um, uh, better feeding, mm. uh, which could be because then she's getting ready to give birth. Uh, so it could be a nice way of basically prioritizing the needs of the sexes at different times so for the root it's the males mating and then it becomes about the females putting on weight to give birth to healthy calves and that's why their antlers stay whereas in other deer it's it's you know it's only the males that get them wow that's cool um so i reckon you'll know about this next one um the clicking sound that reindeer make do you know about this nope you don't know about the clicking sound that reindeer make nope Okay, this is a good one. This is, that is my when favorite. they're recharging their batteries. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Geiger counter. They're all just really radioactive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this, this is really cool. This is my favorite reindeer fact, actually. 
So, and you can hear this. You can hear this in your Midlands car park. So, reindeer, <laughs> when they move, they click. Well, hang on. When I move, I've started clicking. It's called age. <laughs> I'm not making a segment out of it. <laughs> so, reindeer have, throughout their legs, they've got tendons, and there are these special bone protuberances that stick up. And as they walk, their tendons snap over these bone protuberances hmm. and make this audible clicking sound. And if you're stood, you know, if you're stood next to a reindeer, you're by an enclosure or whatever, and it starts walking, you'll hear it clicking as it walks. Every time it walks, it clicks. And this, from the reading that I did, could be for two reasons. One is that it's another way of assessing dominance in the herd, and the volume of the clicks and the regularity of the clicks could be a way of, uh, of, of um, assessing dominance. But the other is that it's a way of them being able to locate each other in snowstorms. And that as they're moving around, this clicking, this constant sort of low-level clicking noise, um, although it is still pretty, honestly, it's really audible when you hear it, um, is a way that they can keep in contact with each other. That's cool. It's really cool. And, That's uh, really yeah, cool. They, they just walk around and you just hear this like little, It's yeah, it's almost like a little, as they walk around. It's, it's really cool. Nah. And it's and it's just this specially evolved. Well, I don't know. If it's a specially evolved tendon, but it has evolved to make this noise on purpose. That whenever they're walking, it clicks. So, the the last of the main facts that I found. So when they're up there in the Arctic, um, they've got a problem. In that, during the height of summer and the dead of winter, uh, the days you know the days don't behave themselves. It's either perpetual <laughs> darkness or it's perpetual light. They've got no respect for <laughs> the. For the daily rhythms of life, those days <laughs> up in the Arctic. Um, now, for the vast majority of living things on Earth, the days follow a pretty set rhythm of light and dark uh, and have done for millennia, which has led to the evolution of the circadian clock that yep. we've got inside us. What do you know about the circadian clock? I, I know it exists. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know it works on military time, not AM, PM. <laughs> um, uh, literally, it's just kind of the rhythm of the body or whatever. Yeah. That there's a circadian rhythm yeah. that is like awake time, sleep time, awake time, yeah. sleep time. Exactly. Yeah. So it basically keeps track of when you should be resting and when you should be active. And pretty much all living things have got one mm -hmm. uh it's housed in the hypothalamus mm -hmm. we've got one mm -hmm. and um the clock resets every day on a 24-hour schedule so within your brain this thing is keeping a track of a 24-hour schedule and uh resetting now there's still a mystery as to exactly how the circadian clock orchestrates sleep and wakefulness uh and it, it works by maybe producing certain hormones at certain times etc etc um but that's the point of it the point of it is to give them give us a, a rhythm a 24-hour rhythm uh, throughout life now if you're then in the arctic where the days and nights don't play ball it could be that a circadian rhythm isn't going to be much use because you're not following a similar uh, you know, you can't make use of the the darkness or the light in the same way as you could elsewhere. So a science team looked at some semi-domesticated reindeer from Tromso 
in Norway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tromso is just north of the Arctic Circle, gets about two months of continuous daylight in the summer, two months of darkness in the winter, and then only a few weeks of re- actual regular day lengths uh, around the equinoxes. So the team took tissue cells from those reindeer and inserted a gene sequence into the reindeer DNA that triggers the circadian clock genes. The sequence also included a gene which would light up every time the clock genes turned on. Okay, So whenever whenever the circadian clock genes kick in, they'd added this little DNA code that would cause it to light up. Science this is, this... is mental. <laughs> Hang on, the now, whole reindeer, not the whole reindeer. No, no. So I'm going to oh. say, I'm pretty sure this took place inside a petri dish. Oh man, I was so, so excited not... for a minute that they kind of somehow did this, stuck it in some reindeer, and then put them out in a field, and then could just sit on a porch and like, oh look, that one's lit up. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure this takes place inside a petri dish with just the cells yeah. that yeah. you're after. Okay, yeah. so. How this works in normal animals is that every 24 hours, the cells would emit a burst burst of light. That's when the circadian clock genes have switched on and gone 24 hours. You know, it's almost like your alarm clock for 24 hours has passed. So that's when the light would switch on. Um, And that pattern persists even if the cells are in complete darkness or in complete light. And you may have heard before that, you know, if people have been trapped in mines or in caves they're still actually able to keep... You take away all external um, stimuli, people are still able to keep roughly to a 24-hour schedule because of this inbuilt circadian clock. But the clock genes in the reindeer did not respond to this rhythmic on-off pattern at all. Instead, they fired irregularly with a very, very low signal. And the results suggest that the reindeer have evolved to the weird Arctic environment by somehow being able to turn off the genes of the circadian clock. Um, Because it means that they can keep their non-stop schedule of grazing on grass... Uh, for a few hours and then just napping for a few hours and then grazing some more even in winter when the sun never rises or in the summer when the sun never sets and it may be that instead of a circadian rhythm they've got an ultradian one which is basically ruled by when they need to sit and digest food instead so they seem to they will have had a circadian rhythm at some point but then you know in evolutionary past but it seems that they've lost it because they've spent so so long up uh, in the arctic circle and they're just getting rid of it I like that. They went off, they fled north and danced to their own beat. <laughs> a lesson for us all. Yeah. I, I like your phrase, uh, what was it, the, the non-stop cycle of grazing, as if they're like non-stop Wall, schedule Street, of gra- Wall Street traders or something. <laughs> like, I just got to graze! Imagine, though, if like, that's a, uh, that's sort of a, maybe a Black Mirror episode where they manage to... People who want to work constantly. You know, there's these like workaholics, people in the stock market or yeah. whatever, suddenly start taking circadian, yeah, circadian rhythm suppressants yeah. that mean that they don't need to work on human time and they get this competitive edge over the fina- other finances and it leads us down a very dark path. I'd like to know which of our brandings would get picked up on The Apprentice. You packaged it as circadian rhythm suppressant and I packaged it as reindeer juice. <laughs> if we were on competing teams on The Apprentice, who would get picked up by Alan Sugar? Yeah, I, it's not a vegan, is he? I think he'd probably be all right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right, so now, that, so that's the end of, uh, of the sort of major points. But then, as I was scrolling through and reading this, there were, just, there were three wildcard facts that just jumped out at me, okay? Um, 
Now, one of them, the first one, is it's less sort of, I mean, it's really cool, but it's less sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. out there. And it's just that I wanted to mention that the reindeer have uh, the porcupine caribou herd, which are a specific herd in a certain part of North America, have the longest migration of any land mammal. And they will migrate over 1,500 miles a year between their winter range and calving grounds. So just a shout out to the porcupine herd because <laughs> they're just out there, you know. Walking is walking, what they're doing. Just walking constantly. <laughs> Another thing, actually, when I was reading about it is just how much of a pain, like, blood-sucking insects are for them out on the tundra in the summer. They can lose a, they lose a litre of blood a week. And part of the reason that they constantly move is to escape all the biting insects. And they'll often go and find, unlike most animals, which will hunker down and find areas out the wind, reindeer herds will go and stand all on the tops of hills just so that the wind will blow the fucking mosquitoes and everything away. Oh, wow. But what else is up there for the mosquitoes to suck? Well, yeah, probably not much. Oh, well, I guess, okay, so that, yeah. So it's just the huge herd. I mean, these reindeer reindeer herds can be, you know, hundreds of thousands. Oh, okay, well. Some of them fine yeah they're, they're like colossal that tracks um so then second second random bonus fact is um caribou can run at speeds of up to 50 miles an hour <laughs> young calves can outrun an olympic sprinter when one day old yep just just <laughs> a baby cut just a baby reindeer a day old just absolutely slamming usain bolt on the 100 meters as well as being able to run they can also swim faster than a Olympian. This is this is the most sort of random fact that was in there okay. because this was this was the entire sentence. Reindeer are also good swimmers, and in one case, the entire body of a reindeer was found in the stomach of a Greenland shark, and that was it. That was surely, the fact. but surely that's evidence they're bad swimmers. Well, I think it means that they can. <laughs> if, I, if I if I said I'm just I'm just nipping to the you know I'm having a seaside weekend away. And then I washed up in the body of a Greenland shark. You'd be like, wow, he really was not in control. <laughs> I, think, I, think the point like, it, I think the point it's trying to make is that they'll swim into some quite, uh, you know, they're crossing quite large bodies of water to get from one place to the next. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. But I'd again, imp- not strong enough swimmers to get away from something which could be 400 years old. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like it's unfair to say to the reindeer, not strong enough swimmers to outswim something that's been in the water since the beginnings of time. (laughs) (laughs) An elite swimmer born of time itself. We went at this in very different ways. Excellent. So the big question that I'm going to start off with Mm -hmm. is, of course, the reindeer question. Why was Rudolph's nose red? Oh, why? So, this was my question that I wanted to track down with the reindeer. Reindeer can exhibit as having symptoms of a cold, and they can be coughing and they can be spluttering, but Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a cold that causes it. And you mentioned something in your segment that Mm. made me think you were about to suddenly veer into... Into red-nosed territory. Into red-nosed territory. So, enter the snot bot a.k.a. the warble, a.k.a. the deer botfly, Hyperderma tarandi. Now, this is maybe one of the most horrific parasites I've ever heard. That's a lie. There's stuff that lives in, like, children's (laughs) eyes. But 
this is pretty grim. Okay. okay. It's perfect for a festive Christmas special. Exactly. Get ready. Well, it starts with the snot bot, but then we are going to go into the actual history of the literature of Rudolph's red nose. Ooh. Because basically, okay, I set out, why was the nose red? Yeah. Surely there's some science there. Uh-huh. I then went on a journey and landed at actually the literature of the thing, which doesn't explain it anymore, but I think I found out the actual reason. So okay. I'm going to present cool. two cases of what the science says as to where Rudolph's red nose inspiration could have come from. Yep. And then going to tell us about the author of the poem and the song, which okay. started the whole thing little bit about his life and then we'll see based on a very subtle clue that i found on the wikipedia page and right. subsequently fact-checked what it could actually be okay so sci- the case for science exhibit a okay enter the snot bot yeah. aka the warble aka the deer bot fly hyperderma tarandi now for anyone who doesn't know what a bot fly is already these are parasitic flies that will lay their egg on the skin like people can get them mm. people who go on uh, i've known some people who've had them yeah, working too. out in the field and the fly will lay its egg on your skin and the body heat like it happens so quick the egg will hatch and instantly burrow into your skin and it will develop inside of you and then eventually mm-hmm. emerge as a fly now female deer bot flies <laughs> take this one step further they squirt the lava up the noses of unsuspecting reindeers the lava will then crawl down the throat oh come on to live and feed on the tissues inside the reindeer's throat. That's disgusting. It's frankly uncalled for. That's not okay. After growing for some time, <laughs> and it's time for the lava to leave, they begin irritating the unlucky deer's throat. This causes the deer to cough and splutter and just retch so much that it shoots... <laughs> the larval bot fly out through its mouth or nose it would then perhaps be no surprise that a reindeer's nose might at times be a bit bloody a bit snotty a bit shiny and present as red thoughts on the snot bot i mean no wonder rudolph got bullied (laughs) no wonder they wouldn't let him play in any of the reindeer games (laughs) he was infested (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with warbles <laughs> case for science exhibit a the snot bot case for science exhibit b yeah i found a study you mentioned tromso in norway that was done by some phd students up there as to why his nose could be red and they went about it in measuring the vascular anatomy of human and reindeer noses mm-hmm. to find differences in capillaries and blood vessel structure to see if they could pump it full of blood or anything happening there. Now, I quite like this because it was quite sort of tongue-in-cheek and they were literally in the study. They clearly... It was published, but having a bit of a laugh, so it was peppered with, like, he would, of course, need this to pull the sleigh or this would help him uh, guide Santa. Okay, so it was right, proper yeah. kind of... You know, they'd done the science and everything, but they'd, they'd written it in, in quite a fun way, which I liked. And I was going through it and I was like, you know this is interesting is it too technical does it have that je ne sais goose that we always need to find in an article okay and then oh and just as an example of the kind of tonning cheek they found in their conclusion 
that the nasal microcirculation of reindeer is richly vascularized, so the nose is packed full of blood vessels, with a density 25% higher than in humans. The results highlight intrinsic properties of Rudolph's... This is the wording of the paper... The results highlight intrinsic properties of Rudolph's legendary luminous red nose, which help to protect it from freezing during sleigh rides and to regulate the temperature of the reindeer's brain, factors essential for flying reindeer pulling Santa's sleigh under extreme temperatures. So hats off to these PhD students. Can't argue with peer-reviewed science. Yeah. However, I do want to draw attention to the following line, which mm-hmm. to me feels like, one of the students saw an opportunity and leapt at it. So here is the paper describing the human volunteers that they had as a comparison to the reindeer. We recruited five consecutive volunteers from the Department of Otorhinolaryngology in the Academic Medical Centre. Inclusion criteria were adult non-smokers, aged 18 years or more, with no history of systemic or nasal disease and who were not taking prescribed drugs. A short medical history was obtained from the volunteers before investigations began. And this next bit is where I think one student saw an opportunity and took it. Moreover, vascular reactivity of the nasal mucosa was tested in one of the healthy volunteers by local application of 100 milligrams of cocaine. (laughs) 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 read the whole thing sorry to say that they didn't put a reindeer on cocaine (laughs) yeah when was this study done do you Mm. know i feel like we're we're just a few decades too late for the putting a reindeer on cocaine (laughs) because if this was like in the 50s that are totally yeah 2012 yeah so if this was yeah 80s then God, that reindeer would have been on coke. (laughs) So we've got two scientific approaches and examples there. One, parasite. Two, they've just got loads of blood vessels in their nose to keep them warm, Mm -hmm. keep everything else going. But I then wanted to go into actually why, what is, why do we associate reindeer with Santa? What's happening? Who knows? Mm -hmm. So the reindeer seem to have gotten their popularity, or at least the jump start, the big moment they blew up, is in an 1823 poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas which I'd never heard of before until I heard the first line, and then you realise it's actually one of the most famous poems in the world that you never know the actual name of. So it's called A Visit from St. Nicholas, and it starts, "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." So I thought it was called The Night Before Christmas, but its actual name is A Visit from St. Nicholas, and it has been called arguably the best-known verse ever written by an American. It was written by Clement Clark Moore. I thought, here we go, 1800s poet. There's going to be some mad shit happening here. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Not that interesting. So, Zero out of ten on the goose <laughs> scale. No so secret you- passion for wombats. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to be found whatsoever with Clement Clark Moore. So, is Clement Clark Moore the guy who named the reindeer? He named the original eight. Yeah, on so Dasher, that on Dancer, poem, on Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, exactly. on Cupid, on Donna and Blitzen. Yeah. Exactly, because his poem is just the eight. It doesn't have Rudolph. Yeah, yeah, because Rudolph's like a sort of... I've, I'll be honest. The the original eight are the OGs. I've oh. always I've always viewed Rudolph as like the little commercial sellout to the reindeer trio, uh, the, to the, the reindeer group. So sit tight. Ooh, Rudolph okay. makes his entry in 1939. 
in another poem. Earlier than I thought, actually. In a poem booklet by this guy called Robert L. May. Mm-hmm. Now, May worked for an advertising agency who did Christmas giveaways, and they asked him to create something, some kind of animal, based off the back of Disney's recent success with Ferdinand the Bull. Mm-hmm. Now, May came across as a little more interesting than Moore, to be honest. And remember, Moore is the guy who did the poem with the original eight. Yeah. Um, May majored in psychology at university and was exposed to the work of a guy called Alfred Adler. And Alfred Adler had this thesis that the that the basic human motivation is a striving for perfection and self-assertion that stems from a desire to overcome feelings of inferiority. And it led to a lot of May's literary creations having some form of physical disadvantage. Mm. So he lent into this kind of, you mentioned earlier, Ah, Rudolph being bullied and all the rest. So the guy who created him, this was a big thing of him. Now, he did come up with some other characters, well-known hits, (laughs) as we all know and love Jack, such as, Benny the Bunny Who Liked Beans and Winking <laughs> Willie. So I think it's fairly safe to say that May really only had one big hit here with his kind of bullied animal yeah, yeah. <laughs> thesis. Now again, I was going through May stuff, 1939, and there's a lot out there on Rudolph. Once mm. you open this box, there's a, lot, there's a lot of this and who did this film and who did that, but 1939 comes along and I was looking through it, hoping to find some kind of link to anything naturey that I could either spring off of, again, trying to find that je ne sais goose, yeah. nothing, 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 until I found why the nose might have been red. Okay. Now, science made the case of the parasite. Science also made the case of the blood vessels. May sort of waxed lyrical um, about, you know, bullied and, you know, this philosophy of, you know, an outsider. Until I found this line, which said his other interests included bowling, golf, and growing 15-foot-tall tomato plants <laughs> that reached the second story of his house with tomatoes weighing as much as two pounds. <laughs> so the reason Rudolph's got a red nose is because it's created just like t- tomatoes. Well, I put it to you <laughs> that there is no grand... <laughs> He's doing all this stuff. Oh, I like this philosopher. I wanted to find the bullied reindeer and scientists going off. Oh, it's a bot fly. Oh, let's do a line of coke and measure the blood vessels. No one seems to have picked up on the fact that if you're writing a book in his house and you turn to look out of any window, <laughs> there is a ju- there's a quote. There's a quote from him. While May was pondering how best to craft a Christmas story about a reindeer, while staring out of his office window in downtown Chicago, a thick fog from Lake Michigan blocked his view, giving him a flash of inspiration. Suddenly, I had it, he recalled. A nose. A bright red nose that would shine through fog like a spotlight. There's probably a fucking tomato. (laughs) This is like a giant beefsteak just hanging in front of his... <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's really, you can just imagine him sitting there, exactly, sort of like, you know, tapping his pen, being like, hmm. Yeah, could it deadlines be? in two hours. <laughs> just catching his eye as the giant, the, the gardener's delight hanging from his window. Exactly. These monster competition tomatoes he was growing and seeing it and going, huh, I can do something I think with I'm that. So, I think I'm sold on that. So, <laughs> the prosecution puts it to the jury. Is it A. <laughs> The 
the snot bot infecting the throat and lungs of reindeer everywhere? Is it B, the Norwegian study into blood vessels? Or is it C, the guy who wrote Rudolph growing monster tomatoes? <laughs> I'm voting C all day long. I'm voting C too. It's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, today's suggestion has come from Greg Green on Instagram, and it is the common basilisk. Now, let's get to know our festive foe. The common basilisk is a species of lizard that can reach about two and a half feet long and is found in Central and South America. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, what's the Christmas link? Roddy, got any ideas what the Christmas link is? I, when it first came out, had that exact thought, and then I think I've pieced it together. It's because it's also known as the Jesus lizard. It is indeed, and that's why Greg suggested it when I asked for Christmas animals. The common basilisk is also known as the Jesus lizard, the Jesus Christ lizard, because of its ability to run on the surface of the water to escape predators. They live alongside rivers and streams and spend a lot of time chilling out near water. When a predator comes for them, they head towards the water, charging towards it or dropping into it, and just keep running straight over the top of it because they've got large hind feet with scaly fringes on the sides of their third, fourth, and fifth toes. And normally, these scaly fringes are compressed against the toes when the lizard is on land. But when it hits the water, they flatten out, giving it more surface area and allowing the lizard to get the resistance that it needs to run across the water at short distance. And they sort of like windmill around as though they're riding a bicycle, their legs, uh, and then they're almost like pencil straight up in the air with their front legs by their sides and their big legs just motoring along. Um, Now, younger basilisks can run further on water, given their lighter weight, and can get to about 10 to 20 metres before they sink into the water and and then carry on escaping by swimming. Uh, And they can reach speeds of 15 miles an hour across the surface. My favourite quote when I was researching this was, they take the nickname of Jesus Christ Lizard because when fleeing from predators, they gather sufficient momentum to run across the water for a brief distance while holding most of their body out of the water, brackets, similar to the biblical story of Jesus. As though he was like (laughs) escaping from predators and running across the surface of the water. Um, They're also excellent climbers and swimmers, and as mentioned, uh, they can reach two and a half feet long, although 70% of their body is their tail. They're brownie cream in colour and the males look really cool. They've got these crests in their head, down their back and tail, a bit like a supercharged reptilian great crested newt. They've got a large mouth with saw-like teeth on the inner sides of the jaw, which they use for eating pretty much anything they can fit in their mouths, uh, from insects, fruit, flowers and fish. So, Roddy Shaw, the question is, how many common basilisks are too many common basilisks? Okay, couple things off the top. First of all, big uh like respect to greg for piecing together the jesus lizard link that's yeah, yeah I, very quite strong. Like, I, I liked it because of its uh yeah it's very link. strong secondly you said something at the end there something like a giant reptilian great crested newt it was a strong set of words yeah how many how big did you say they were i know you said it was like 70 percent tail yeah so they're about two and a half feet long uh, the big ones uh, but 70% of that is tail they've got a huge tail and that tail acts as a, as a bit of a counterbalance when they're running across the surface of the water that's a lot of tail it's a huge amount of tail yeah is that the most tail 
per thing. body ratio. I have no, the most, I have no the idea. Most betailed of all of it. It's probably it's got to be up there, hasn't it? Yeah. Of all the creation, this is the most betailed. Um, insectivorous? Very omnivorous, actually. So they do eat a lot of insects, but they will eat uh, fish. They'll eat birds and eggs. They'll eat, you know, pretty much anything they can get hold of, uh, as well as fruit and flowers and things like that. Hmm. I think, do we want to consider, when it comes to terrain and tactics, how are we considering their superpower? Well, I can't have a castle and pull up the drawbridge because <laughs> they can run across the moat. Okay? That's very true. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'm going to guess they're pretty good climbers, so they can then probably scale the wall. They can. They're good climbers, good swimmers. Are they, like, faster running on the water than they are running on the land? I think that basically the speed doesn't really change. Okay. So that, that you know they'll be legging it across the land, and then when they hit the water for that ten to twenty meters that they do stay on the surface, the speed doesn't change that much. I think that you know the amazing thing is that they manage to keep up the speed as they hit the water. And I'm going to guess that then when they plop through, they're then pretty good swimmers. Seventy yes, percent exactly. tail. That's a lot of reptilian waviness. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I don't want to be in the water. Yeah, what's the motive going to be? Why is a why is a basilisk going to want to going to want to do battle? It's a very cool word. Like I don't know where it comes from, but it is maybe right. It's the annual. Who's got the coolest name in nature? Oh, okay. <laughs> Convention. Convention. Yeah. And I've been invited as judge. <laughs> okay. And you, you're there yeah. too. Great. Our, our, our work has, our work on this podcast has been recognised. We're finally, finally getting the appreciation we deserve. That's actually that's actually a decent. Uh, we should park that idea for a for a for a segment. It'd be a good segment. Just just going through like how animals get cool names. Let's see how the next three minutes go. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need to really quickly come up with something which would beat basilisk. Okay. Animals have to enter themselves into the thing, so you need mm-hmm. a, a level of uh, cockiness, self-assuredness, ego mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, we got a sick name. Yeah, I mean, you you can't be called after Jesus Christ and not have a bit of a... You can't pretend to be humble if everyone's walking around being like, this lizard, the literal incarnation of Jesus. <laughs> These are cocky fucks. <laughs> yeah, like, they can run across the water. And they've been... And they've been mopping up year on year at the uh, Nature's Coolest Name Convention. Yeah. Because the they got MCNC. Two... <laughs> they've got two cool names. They've got Basilisk and Jesus Christ Lizard. Exactly. Exactly. So what has come to the convention? Or what mm. have I... It's our guest spot. Or, you know, it's like a rotating panel of judges. We've been invited there to audit, uh, audit to, to judge, adjudicate. And they're all strutting about, and then something has come out and impressed us so much with its name. Oh, that we've chose them instead. That we've chose them over the basilisk, and the basilisks are livid. And I've got one, okay, which for me I've always thought, damn, that's a cool name. Mm-hmm. And I also know they have a lot of names. I only mm-hmm. know two of them, one significantly less cool, but I'm pretty sure in their range they have many, many names. But the one that I always love is the Hellbender. 
Ooh. which I think if there's something which is going to give a basilisk in terms of naming a run for its money, being mm. called the Hellbender. Yeah, that's good. And the double sting of you've got the Jesus Christ lizard versus the Hellbender. Oh, so so it's a match as old as time. Exactly, exactly. And <laughs> the uh, religion derby. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The nature religion derby. Follow on to the NCNC a month later is the NRD. <laughs> <laughs> and so the hellbenders and they're very the, the hellbenders is a big salamander thing they're like a foot and a i think they could be they're definitely longer than a foot i think they're about two feet long and they live in kind of the appalachian mountains there's a lot of names from up there their other name that i know of is the snot otter i don't think the snot otter's as cool they have definitely <laughs> entered under hellbender i think this is going to enrage the lizards even more because the thing about like the lizards back it up yeah the hellbender it just, you know, what does it, what does it do to warrant that name? Yeah, it, the snot otter is more of a name it's warranted yeah. than hellbender, yeah. but hellbender is the name everyone knows it by. Yes. And the hellbender, being an amphibian, they live under rocks. It's cold water, slow-moving things. You know, they're not, they're not, they're, they're shy. They're reclusive. They're amphibians. They want to, they want to keep themselves to themselves. They're not going to compete with the showy basilisks. But being, uh, you know. A friend of the amphibians. Yes, <laughs> I've come along. I've, I've arguably like... bias. <laughs> yeah. Taking a like... taking a fiver under the desk. <laughs> come on, you need to enter this. You need to enter this. And they've come on, and we've. I mean, if anything, now this is a corrupt. This is the FIFA of. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the basilisks are actually warranted because <laughs> we've swung in and we've completely corrupted. We've pulled we've... a Qatar 2020. <laughs> on exactly. This. <laughs> Put the hellbenders forward. We vote for the hellbenders. Hellbenders taking first place. That's pissed the basilisks off. Yeah. They're then coming for me. The hellbenders are like, come with us. We're in the water. I'm like, we're not even safe there. They can follow us. So then, ah, but I've gone back with the hellbenders. We've been mm -hmm. chased by the basilisks very, very fast. Hellbenders, though, live in cold water, mm -hmm. Appalachian streams. I'm a mm -hmm. mammal. I can handle the cold water. The basilisks running across the water, mm -hmm. and they're like, this is easy. We're getting them. We're getting them. And then they start to plop through as the surface tension goes and basically freeze mm. in the cold water of the Hellbender's uh, Appalachian streams. Uh, the Hellbender's lair. In the Hellbender's lair, um, which if there are any metal groups out there looking for an album <laughs> title, we do want royalties on In the Hellbender's Lair. Um, so it is how many <laughs> frozen basilisks, but then I guess as they freeze and pile up, maybe that forms a bridge for them. So, how um, many common basilisks can fill up an Appalachian stream? Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, once once enough basilisks have frozen in the stream and plopped and slowed down, it will then form a bridge of basilisk, no longer keeping me safe. And so the answer. Bridge of basilisk is the second album. <laughs> the sequel to In the Hellbender's Lair is the Bridge of Basilisk. It's a two part. Yeah. And so the answer to the question, how many basilisks, is too many basilisks. It's the width of an Appalachian stream. This is a bit of a hard username to say, but it's A nine nilla four M. A nilla for M. Okay. Uh, 
which animal is most likely to return their gifts? Oh. Okay. Which animal is most likely to return their gifts? So, right, here's my thinking. Because yep. returning your gifts depends on the quality of the gifts. <laughs> okay. So, yep. which animal's got everything? Ah. So I'm thinking about it from two different ways. You can either look at it that way. Which animal's got everything that it doesn't need any gifts and therefore it's just going to give them away, give them back, whatever, because it's already got everything. Or it's like, which is the most ungrateful animal that... See, I, I was thinking most ungrateful. I hadn't necessarily gotten anywhere yet, but I hadn't thought about the why you would return a gift yeah, like, other you, than you know, what, what ungrateful, do you, What do you get the animal that's got everything? Hmm. So what animal has everything? Well, hang on. Surely, like a a queen bee. Yeah. What could you get, a queen bee? Oh, don't know. Ask Jay Z. <laughs> <laughs> so um, stupid. <laughs> um, I was thinking like something like a beaver that's very yep. crafty. Yep. He's probably going to be like, you know, Christmas comes around and it's 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 already made everything. It, there's nothing it needs because if it ever needs anything, it just makes it. I think a beaver would give the best gift. Yeah, really nice, whittled, just, carved. Yeah, wholesome. Yeah, here's a chair. However, say you're friends with a beaver, okay? It's getting you a Christmas present. It's getting you a birthday present and... You're really good friends. You know, let's say you're getting two to three gifts a year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say once you've had your fifth chair, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, okay, <laughs> there's a pattern. <laughs> okay. But I do yeah. think a beaver would be difficult to buy for. Definitely. I mean, a dentist coupon? <laughs> 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 some floss um do you think here's a question do you, you know when you go to the dentist and they give you the the dentist clean they use the um whatever it is that they use with like the high-powered jet of water and all that sort of stuff yeah it's yeah. really unpleasant do you think that would do anything to a beaver if its teeth are coated with iron no no but then it's getting all the gunk out like i've never understood why why animals don't need to brush their teeth well, yeah, like, what, what? I mean, now, I say that of... Maybe that's you what know. you get a beaver, a toothbrush. Oh. <laughs> and some some metal polish. <laughs> you know, brass polish. A grinding and an wheel. Toothbrush. Yeah, exactly. An angle grinder. Okay. Good. Um, so what would be an ungrateful animal? Hmm. Other than a cat. Oh, yeah. Cats. There's an animal out there that we literally buy presents for routinely around the world yeah. that does not care for them at all. No. And it's the cat. Or doesn't care for them, us, <laughs> like anything. You know, small garden birds, just complete ambivalence, apathy to existence. Yeah. I also think a cat is so apathetic mm. that it wouldn't even return the gift it'd just be like uh, uh. it'd bat it into the bin <laughs> straight exactly. into landfill 
knock it off the table than <laughs> stare you in the face and be like, that's right, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, keep your scented candle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ungrateful. Is there anything that lives like such a difficult life that if you got it like I'm thinking something in a desert that mm. you know one of these proper extreme lifestyle things that if you turned around and were like I've got you some nice socks it'd be like do you think <laughs> <laughs> I give a fuck <laughs> about you know what i mean like that yeah. kind of so it's just so hard you know it's like sort of you know you get like a pasta maker emperor penguin like, yes okay yeah yeah if you gave an emperor penguin a pasta maker it would be what am i possible what do you think i'm gonna use this so like, i am one of the most hardcore animals on the planet I survive, yeah. you know, minus 40 degree, six yeah. months of darkness, no food, winters. Why would I need an incense burner? <laughs> it would take it as a personal affront. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's such on the cutting edge of, you know, survival and existence mm. that for you to even think about turning around and getting it a decorative serving spoon, <laughs> it is like... <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't, that's the thing, you couldn't buy it any, t nothing twee. Imagine getting it in a secret Santa. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, the secret Santa is already, you know, full of absolutely meaningless gifts most of the time anyway. Imagine getting the Emperor Penguin. But like getting Bear Grylls in the secret Santa. Yeah. <laughs> he'd be, he'd just get him some, a pile of elephant shit and he'd be <laughs> off. You know. A hollowed out yak. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I reckon buying a present for an emperor penguin would be tough. Yeah. And then at the opposite end, well, we said a beaver would be, they'd be a good gift giver. I mean, like a dog is just surely the easiest, um, you know. Yeah. Just grateful for anything, aren't they? Pigeon, oh, pigeons, feral pigeons. Feral pigeons, that's an easy gift. Uh, Here you go. What is it? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> a fox, an urban fox. Yep, again. Yeah, I once saw a magpie eating you know vomit in leeds once so i've seen squirrels <laughs> eating chicken wings out of bins I, basically what we say is any animal that lives in a city yeah <laughs> would be incredibly easy you could buy a scented candle and it would eat it yeah <laughs> yeah an autographed attenborough book and it'd eat it <laughs> an air fryer and it would eat it <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, good. What's the best animal to put on top of the Christmas tree? Ooh. That's from Andy J. Gooden. So, we're replacing the classic star slash angel situation? I think so. So, on the one hand, okay. it's got to be... So, first of all, does it have to have wings? You are so biased for that mm. question. It is <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, no, I don't think okay. it does. I don't think it does have to have cool. wings. Um, stars don't have wings. That's a good point. But my follow-up was going to be, if not wings, does it have to be incredibly showy? Mm. Well, you don't want something shit on top of the tree, no. do you? So it's going to need to be small. Well, well, lastly, does it have to? can we change the size of it? 
I don't think no so. No tiny this one. Christmas rhinos. Okay. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think we've got to stick to actual size. Let's say a bog standard, uh, what four or five foot Christmas tree that people would have okay. in their living okay. rooms. Um, that's what we're going yeah. for. Okay, here's my thoughts. When we were thinking shiny, yep. showy, yep. like jewel scarabs. Oh, but they're like, they're more like Christmas baubles. That is true. And I tell, tell you the reason this came to my head, because as we are, as we have been um, preparing for the Christmas special, I learned about, have you heard about Christmas beetles? No. So there's, in Australia, there's, there's a group of beetles just called the Christmas beetles. And they're really showy. They're almost scarab-like. Um, some of them showier than others. But they come out in December. So they're known as Christmas oh, beetles. Wait, hang on. Did um, did we see some of these when we were at the museum with Ash? We might have. I actually did message friend of the show and beetle expert, Ash Whiffin, about these. Somebody, when I was asking for uh, suggestions for an animal for you to fight, uh, said it well I just asked for Christmassy right, animals okay. and I, blo- I blocked you from seeing I was that wondering, story I haven't so seen it yeah it. okay mm. you haven't so, so I, all I did was just put name a Christmassy animal and Christmas beetle was one of them never heard of it but they'd look good on a they tree look good on a tree maybe not the top though I think maybe you're right there maybe I'll concede they're not the, the tree topper I think topper. they're bauble there's also tinsel yeah. to consider it's got to be snake yeah. or yeah um maybe some kind of not quite jellyfish but there's got to be a long sea there's something in the sea is long yeah and i'm confident in that statement i think one of the universal rules of the sea is for the vast majority 70 percent of the animals you take them out the sea the aesthetic's (laughs) gone like especially with those blobby things that are made out of water you drape that over a Christmas tree and it's going to go grey and it's going to go soggy, yeah. like it's going to sag and it's it's going to yeah. lose its, it's going to lose its That's beauty. That's true. We don't want saggy tinsel. No. But I think I think a snake, you have... Rainbow um, boa. Yeah, the exactly. Iridescent, irid- some, iridescent scales. Yeah, you have some beautiful uh, snakes that you could so coil around. So we've got around. Christmas beetles, we've got a rainbow boa and on the top mm-hmm. of the tree, I would like to put... A mouse lemur in an outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Dressed up as the baby Jesus. Or whatever religious icon you should choose, which in itself might be a new level of (laughs) blasphemy. Christmas. Or Christmas. (laughs) I mean, it would be weird if it was a different religious icon. I mean... This tree is pretty weird as it is. I think if there was a <laughs> mouse lemur dressed as Buddha or, you know, whatever <laughs> else atop it, it's only going to, you know. Yeah, okay, I could go mouse lemur. I think it it is cute. It's not as showy as I okay, was expecting. that's why it's got an outfit. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's got the sequence. It's like Eurovision. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact i might tweak it from mouse lemur i might move it to tarsia because their eyes mm-hmm. are so huge they're like stars well yes but they're also scarier than mouse lemurs you know do you not think tarsiers look a little bit more sort of wide-eyed on and... our beetle covered rainbow boa tree <laughs> <laughs> i'd hate to shock someone <laughs> 
Okay, fair enough. You can um, pick your own tree topper, but my tree topper I've settled on is a Tarsier in a Eurovision level sequined <laughs> costume. And for any international listener who, well, I mean, Will Farrell made that Eurovision movie, so I would hope that. You know, friends across the pond or around the world would all know what Eurovision is by now. But if you mm. don't, it's going to be in Liverpool next year and it's going to be bonkers. I I feel like even given the podcast that we are, people are less likely to know what a mouse lemur is than Eurovision. <laughs> <laughs> okay, point, point taken. We're maybe not quite the cultural touchstone, <laughs> I hoped, as that um, which launched I'm. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have a bird. I've got to have a Obviously. bird. Um and I'm going to have something like a cormorant. Uh a oh god. No, that's not the religious icon I want <laughs> on top of my Christmas tree. Uh, I want something like um so there's there's a bird called like a superb starling, which is uh it looks like some sort of block paint by colours bird. Uh, that a child will have done where they're like I'm going to colour the chest in this colour and I'm going to colour the face in this colour and I, and it's just really bright and really showy um, so I'm just going to be completely shallow and just go for big bold you're bright you're going to go colours. for an animal which has superb in the name yeah or something like a resplendent castle because resplendent is such know? a step down from <laughs> <laughs> so something something like that something uh you know, I want to be the envy of, like, you know, in is it Elf when they're all really competitive about... Oh, the Grinch, when they're really competitive about all the Christmas lights in Whoville. I, I want people to be looking at my Christmas tree and I've just gone, like, ham on the topper and nobody's beating my resplendent you kettle. You could, I think, if you changed your Christmas beetles to jewel scarabs, you've got a one, two, three... Like, you're, you've got the, the ecosystem... Jewel scarabs, rainbow mm. boa, quetzals are all the same neck of the woods, aren't they? Give or take, you know, a country or two, but they're closer than. Yeah, where's rainbow the rainbow boa? Central and as long South as it's America. All, yeah, it's like they're all Central yeah, America. Then. Yeah, we're you're in. off. It's a Central American yeah. theme. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> Feliz Navidad. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, whereas mine is. Australia, Southeast Asia, Central. So um, maybe I need to swap out the rainbow boa. I'm going to swap the rainbow boa for a reticulated python. Wow. <laughs> the structural integrity of that tree. <laughs> the sheer mass of tinsel. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you could also put on as well. You could put fireflies on as Christmas Lovely. lights. Mm, some like bio or glow worms or yeah. something like that. What else goes on a tree? You know, I, d I was thinking about whether there was anything that mimics... You know, people sometimes... Uh, it, this whole sort of Scandi Christmas mm. vibe, the, like, rustic vibe, and people hang, like, pine cones or they make um, stars out of twigs and things like that. And I was thinking of, like, buff-tip moths or if there's anything that replicates... But I was trying to think of something, really, that replicates, like, a pine cone or something like that, but I couldn't I couldn't think of anything Pangolins. that... <laughs> we're just gonna have to hang pangolins off the tree for pine cones. so we've got okay my tree's now got christmas beetles uh a mm -hmm. reticulated python for all the tinsel a tarsier mm -hmm. in a euro star euro star it's not 
checking tickets. Yeah, it's a train, yeah. train conductor. Tarsier. <laughs> Tarsier in a train in a sequined train conducting outfit on the top. Um and some pangolings hanging off it. And then mm-hmm. I will also throw in Fire, uh, fireflies or something bioluminescent. Yep, some glow, glow bugs, glowy, glowy bugs. Like the only thing I can think of for presence underneath is something which wraps itself up, which is basically like a pangolin or an armadillo. Anyway, mm. a hedgehog. Yeah, that's Fries a it spiky open. present. <laughs> Could be like a um, like a butterfly. Like in its chrysalis, and then you unwrap it, and it's a beautiful. Oh, that's nice. You know, that's very nice. And also, yeah. they could, um, you know, camouflage like fallen leaves, so under mm. the tree, which, yeah, you know, would be a pine tree, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so that question was asked by Andy J. Gooden, but I also just want to give a shout out to Jenny's Wild Wonders, who also asked, "What animals would you decorate the tree with?" So we ended up merging those two. Two for one. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Jenny. Hello, listener. Thank you for tuning in to this special festive edition of How Many Geese. I just wanted to take the chance in the outro to say from me and Roddy, genuinely very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all of you listening. We'll be back in 2023 after we've scoured more of nature's stories for that je ne sais goose. Have a good one, listener. Merry Christmas to all and to all a goose night.